Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. That is some absolutely world-class sitting down there, staying at home, just sitting down. Oh, look, there he goes. He's eaten his fourth sandwich of the day. This is remarkable. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnar Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. How are you doing today? I am better than Frank Lampard, to tell you that. Yeah, real shame. Real shame to see him go, to mm. be honest. Um, felt like he was a kind of decent sort of sleeper agent manager in there who was, you know, going to limit their potential. Mm. Um, sadly, sadly, they have sought to amend the situation, as they usually do, in fairness to Chelsea. They don't hang about. No, they don't. They are ruthless as fuck, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And it looks like it's a sort of case of et tu, Petter. I think Petter Cech, it sounds like, has been involved sort of behind the scenes in oh, really? you know, bringing about Frank's demise, having sort of meetings with players. And I mean, you know, he's just doing his job, but uh, that'll, that'll sting for Frank. Whoa, OK. Yeah, Petter Cech. You wouldn't put him down as the kind of ruthless behind the scenes, slip the dagger in, hatchet man kind of guy. Can you slip a dagger in with a hatchet? I don't know if that's uh, the thing, but maybe, maybe there's a dark side to Petter Cech that we just don't yeah. know about. What's he hiding beneath that helmet? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I imagine, by the way, that he still wears that, like in his new job as technical director. Isn't there? A, like- isn't there a brilliant? Uh, it could be from one of the FIFA games where. Uh, when you're playing manager mode or whatever it is, and Petr Cech was still a player, and you go in to do contract negotiations with Petr Cech, and he's sitting there in the manager's office with his agent wearing the helmet. I'm sure that's accurate. I'm it sure is. I'm pretty sure that there's, a, there's a picture of it somewhere. Petr Cech, FIFA helmet, uh, which could bring up some unfortunate results. But no, yeah, there it is. Uh, if you Google Petr Cech, FIFA helmet, his agent is saying, "Now, come on, let's get to the uh, let's get to the issue of contract length." And Petrček is sitting there looking at him with his helmet on <laughs> and a tie. And it's the it's the combination of helmet and tie that really sets it off. There you go. Um, yeah, incredible. I mean, uh, so yeah, sad to see Frank Lampard go before we even really got to enjoy the spoils of Lampard out, you know, to the full extent. Yeah, I mean, we never were in a position to do it properly, you know. We weren't in any any sort of uh, state ourselves to be crowing or to be, you know, mocking other managers when, you know, things weren't going as well for us as as we would have liked. So it just didn't quite True. feel right to do it. I, I, You know, it is an opportunity missed. There you go. I mean, maybe we can blame Mikel Arteta for this in some ways. Do better, Mikel Arteta, and we would have had a chance to do some Lampard out for the listeners. So well, there you go. There's a black mark on Arteta's card right now. 
Absolutely, and we've only ourselves to blame really, mm. for Lampard sacking because you know that that game against Chelsea really did swing their fortunes pretty dramatically. Um, yeah, and of course he did. You know, he came out and sort of blamed the players, and from then on, I, I'm sure his uh, situation was increasingly precarious anyway but when you come out and you you kind of um put the blame on the players straight away yeah you're toast you're toast from then on yeah there were some more warning signs also you know him he had a, a, a fair enough but he had a pop at my colleague at the athletic liam twomey who'd written a very critical piece about his uh chelsea oh did tenure. he <laughs> yeah he sort of was like oh, well I've read some of the pieces. If the players read what you're writing, you know, how negative it is, they'd be really down. As soon as a manager starts, mm. manager is, of course, entitled to engage with criticism, but I think it's often a very, very bad sign. Yeah. I wonder, did Frank Lampard pay full price for his subscription to The Athletic or did he get one of those like one euro a month deals, which sure I see everywhere tough. after I paid full price, but never mind. He, never I mind. think he, you know, boxed Black Friday... You know, he was there. He said, Roman, can I borrow a pound? They sorted him out. Um, and yeah, he signed up for the 12 months. Will he renew? That's the big, that's always the big question. Well, he's got nothing, else, got nothing else to do at this moment. That's true. He needs something to read. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I sort of, I'm, I'm sort of sorry to see him go because I, I suspect that if uh, a very competent, capable coach comes in, you know, there is a lot of talent in that mm. squad Thomas, to work with. Thomas Tuchel, apparently, is the man. Yes. So there you go. Uh, uh, yeah, I Another mean, one of those names perennially linked with Arsenal jobs when they come up, you know, yeah. but probably maybe less likely to happen now he's gone to the, the blue side. Yeah, very, very slightly less likely to happen now that he's employed by Chelsea, yeah. We'll just get him when he's 83. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when they've really, when he, they yeah. don't want him anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 83. They've, given him, they've given him a two-year contract. We're going to give him the six or seven that he's looking for, you know. Exactly. So all right. Where is pension plan? Let's move away from all that nonsense and move on to our, our very own nonsense. And an FA Cup defeat, uh, a rare enough thing in recent uh, years for Arsenal. Um our defence yeah. of the trophy is over. We went out to Southampton 1-0 on Saturday at St. Mary's. Um, I know there are many layers to this, and we can discuss the lineup, mm -hmm. the rotation, and everything else. I'm just curious as to your, you know, what is your sort of visceral reaction to losing or going out of the FA Cup? You know, beyond, above and beyond the, you know, nobody wants to see Arsenal lose a game was it you know on the pain spectrum how far was it one way or the other uh, in terms of sort of my visceral response it annoyed me a bit more than I thought it would right. only because I guess I suppose I, I suppose I look at our Premier League season maybe somewhat unfairly as a bit of a, a busted flush and so the cup competitions provided mm. uh, a possible allure of glory that maybe is uh, less, well, certainly less plausible in the Premier League. Mm. Um, and I only kind of realised that when we went out. <laughs> and I was like, right, so I guess I guess it's all about the Europa League. Um, and, and, you know, I know people say, well, look, we might climb the Premier League. We might get into, squeeze into Europe via Premier League position. Mm. I just suppose that's less uh, viscerally exciting. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. I, I'm, what do you think? How I'm you a little bit sort of com not conflicted by it, but but um, I get yeah. it. You know, I do get it. 
But yeah, I, look, I, I love the FA Cup and, you know, all the times we've won the FA Cup has been absolutely amazing. I just wonder what another FA Cup win would tell us. And that's not to say that I don't want to win the Cup or, I, you know, I was happy to see us go yeah, out sure. or anything like that. Absolutely not. But I just wonder what another FA Cup win would tell us about this team other than establishing ourselves as a as a cup team, you know, even more than we already are. You know, we've won cups in 2017, we won it in 2020. The league, I think, is the, the, the true barometer or the, the thing that we can look at to really gauge the development and the progress of the team. And I know in some ways it's difficult as well because because of what's happened in that run where we dropped so many points that, you know, after 38 games, it will be a true reflection of, of who we are as a team and what we're capable of and everything else. Um, you know, but we're making up an awful lot of lost ground in the league. So I see the side where people say we really should have gone hard for the FA Cup because it's a trophy, because uh, of all the reasons why winning trophies is good. We know that. But at the same time, I'm kind of more invested in what we do in the Premier League this season and where we could potentially end up um, having come through this bad spell, we may go through another really terrible spell and completely and utterly bemoan the the lack of, of FA Cup opportunity. I, I get it, but I just feel like if we really want to see where we're going, it's what we do in the league week in, week out. That will be the measure of that. That will give us a lot more um, information about who we are, what we're capable of, where we're going, what we need to do to get there, and so on, rather than a cup run, which, you know, um, again, not to be in any way disrespectful or to play it down, you know, teams can go on cup runs. Um, you know, you think of Wigan, for example, getting to the final and winning the final against Man City. I think they got relegated in the same season. So, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really tell you anything above and beyond that they've had a good run in the cup. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And, you know, you're right. We've effectively sort of completed the FA Cup, really, over the last few years. We've absolutely dominated that competition. Mm. Um, I suppose uh, I, maybe it's a little bit pessimistic of me, but when I look at our upcoming fixture list in the Premier League, I wonder if people will be quite so invested in it in a six weeks' time or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, I get that. I completely but get that, you know. Who knows? Nevertheless, I suppose it's sort of moot because... I don't think Mikel Arteta, yes, he heavily rotated his team, but I don't think he threw the tie. Yeah, you know what I, I, mean? I, th- I saw a lot of people say that he's deliberately thrown this game, and I don't think that's... Look, I think there are questions uh, about some of the performances, but I, I, before the game, I you know was fully expecting him to rotate. He did rotate. Yeah. I could see and understand why he would do that in many cases. Um, you know, maybe the, maybe the question is more about who came in and um, what they did rather than the rotation itself. Yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, he played Leno, Holding, Bellerin, Gabriel, Shaka, uh, Martinelli. I mean, those are all players who have been at various points this season, you know, very at the forefront of his plans. Mm. And I think if you look at his disappointment after the game, I, I think this is a team he selected that he, rightly or wrongly, expected more from. Yeah, I mean, I I think in some cases wrongly. (laughs) You know, I think there are a couple of players um, who I'm sure we'll discuss who, you know, uh, well, 
you know, the, there's a last chance saloon for one or two of them anyway, or certainly one of them, uh, you know, in, in Willian, I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much more we can we can say about uh, that particular player. But, you know, let, let's talk about the team in the sense that, you know, it was rotated. There was no Kieran Tierney. And I have to say, I was kind of glad of that from the point of view that he did 120 minutes against Newcastle, then missed the next game against Crystal Palace. And we really missed what he brings us at left back. So, you know, not playing Tierney, not playing Smith Rowe, not bringing Smith Rowe into the team at all. Um, you know, people might be critical of that, but, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, they might think, okay, well, that was relatively smart because we still have Smith Rowe for the Premier League, a player who we are finding it difficult to operate or function properly without. You know, if Premier League points are really what's higher on your agenda than, than winning the Cup, you can understand why, why that player was was rested completely so yeah and look at the player's history as well you know and how much football he's missed mm. for different reasons I think that's absolutely reasonable I think we all had concerns about Tierney playing too many games you know I didn't have um, huge issues with the lineup. I understood why he chose to rest the players he did um, I think it's more about the level of performance that the guys who brought in produced. You know? mm. What about Willian as a number 10, given he's you know basically never played there in his career? Is it a question that, OK, look, we don't have Smith Rowe. The only other real option that we have in the team uh, to play there is is perhaps Bakayo Saka. But you yeah. don't want to play him either because, you know, you, you want to keep him relatively fresh. He's played a lot of football, so you don't want to, you know, absolutely uh, run him into the ground. You know, at a push, maybe, if Danny Ceballos had been fit, you could say, well, you know, with Saka and El Nani behind, he could possibly flit around in, in that area. So, mm-hmm. you know... Was it a question of saying, look, he's an experienced player. I know he hasn't played there a great deal, but he understands the game. He understands what he might need to do in the, in that situation. Is there an element of being, um, I'm not saying unfair is the wrong word, but maybe expecting too much from Willian? Not, not simply because he isn't a player who's played at number 10 a great deal, mm. but, but on the basis of what we've seen from him this season, if he cannot produce in his favoured position, where he's played his whole career on the right-hand side, he's been basically incapable of producing anything in you know 20 games since the opening day of the season. I know he had that, that assist for Gabriel, that's one cross that you know, Gabriel yeah, headed yeah. in well. You know, is, it, is it just stupid to then play him out of position and expect anything better? I don't know, because like you say, I'm not sure how many options we have right now mm. in that position. Um, is it stupid to expect anything better? Maybe, Maybe stupid is the wrong word, you know what I mean? But is it is it just being overly optimistic or, or just kind of saying, well, look, it might work, let's give it a bash? Or, or is it a case uh, simply that he's just got nothing else to try in, in that well, area of the I pitch? Think- I think it's just about, I think it's about not having a lot of options in that area of the pitch. And I think it's also for Willian about just trying something different. And I, you know, I completely appreciate that it didn't work either. But I can understand why, I can understand why he might think, you know, what if we change the problem slightly for Willian? What if we change his 
perspective what can we try and refresh him in some fashion and i i know that it's an idea that's derided but i mean i do think a lot of wide creative players end up in central positions i don't think it's you know there's not no precedent for that mm. i mean it happens and ultimately, Arsenal have got William under contract till he's 34. And I can tell you one thing, he won't be playing on the wing at 34. Mm. So if if Arsenal are serious about trying to make this work, I honestly don't think you can really consider him as a winger in the long term. Mm. You know, I think maybe you've got this season out of him most in that position. I mean, it's very, very rare to find players well, then that what, age. Yeah, but then what is he now? If he's not a winger, what is he? If he's not a central player either... You know, what is he? What benefit is he? What what can he bring to this team? You know, if we've got Smith Rowe that we're wrapping in cotton wool because he's so important and we're bringing in yeah. Martin uh, Erdegar from Real Madrid to, to provide some competition slash backup, you know, what is... Well, Willie, I won't get a game in that position then. I, you know, at all, no. I wouldn't imagine. It'd be very, very difficult for him. Yeah. I think he's... You know, his performances have made him kind of surplus to requirements, haven't they? I mean... yeah. It's difficult to. He's making up the numbers, basically. Yeah, and he, they've he, and they've made sourcing uh, additions to the squad even more important. Yeah, I mean, if he, I think that the first indicator that Arteta sort of saw him as someone capable of playing in a central role was the game at the Etihad when he played as kind of the false nine, mm. um, and that experiment did not work. And I do wonder. You know, was that something Arteta intended on doing more often or using him in the kind of role we played against Southampton more often? But there there haven't been any great signs from him, apart from a very brief spell against Sheffield United, that he's mm. got it in him. So, yeah, I mean, listen, it's a, it's a deal that's been pretty disastrous. Um, and like you say, I don't really know how much more to say about it I suppose the, the debate now is what Arsenal can do mm. you know what? how do Arsenal get themselves out of this problem yeah uh, yeah like which, I, I, which again isn't straightforward no it's, you know? it's absolutely not we've made it really difficult for ourselves by giving him 200 grand a week etc for a period of three years you know so that mm. that really makes it complicated um, mm. and I suppose this is this is basically the worst case scenario in terms of this deal. You know, when we talked about it, when it happened, we were we were hopeful that maybe the best case scenario is we get 12 to 18 months out of a player who had pre uh, plenty of Premier League experience and was pretty decent yeah. for Chelsea. And then you deal with the decline, you know, in a year and a half. For it to be as precipitous as it has been so quickly means it's a huge, huge complication. And, you know, we've only got ourselves to blame, basically, for it. So, you know, it, it, there's no shame or harm. Well, shame or harm. You know, you can question, obviously, recruitment on many levels. But sometimes transfers don't work out for very many reasons. This one seems to be for very obvious reasons. But the the bigger issue is if you keep doubling down, you know, and again, I kind of understand why he played him in this game because he's desperately trying to get something out of a player who over the next, you know, few months we might need, basically, because of the amount of games we have to play and everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, I can understand why he was, you know, he brought him on in a, a game maybe to try and give him a boost. You know, the West Brom game, for example, he brought him on, it was three. 3-0 or 4-0 when he brought him on and was thinking, okay, you know, if he can get a goal, if he can get an assist, it might spark something into him. It didn't happen. He played him in this game looking for for something that might spark him into life. Was he 
he absolutely terrible? No, I think he's played worse for us this season than he did in this game against Southampton. But, you know, again, it didn't provide what we needed. And, uh, you know, it's a problem they are they are definitely going to have to solve. So Yeah, I'm trying to remember if there's an Arsenal player who's had such a bad start first six months or whatever it is, first half season with the club. Uh, Not at 32. Recovered it. Not at 32. I don't remember any player of that age coming in and being this bad and, and recovering. I mean, I think you could you could maybe look at someone like uh, Edu, for example, when he came to the club and he had this um, pretty disastrous start in terms of, you know, there was a whole passport issue. And then when he came in, I think he scored an own goal and then he got injured and he was in and out of the team. But he was a guy in his, his early to mid-20s. You know, mm-hmm. so there was time for him to recover and time for him, um, you know, and he wasn't coming from uh, a club we all hate, you know. So, yeah, I don't I don't recall a situation like this ever before and how it's recoverable. I just don't know. I mean, he could play 10 out of 10. I'm not saying he will. And it would be hugely surprising, obviously, if he did anything like that. But he could play 10 out of 10 for the next three or four weeks. And the minute he has another game, which is disappointing, you know, he's back to square one. There comes a point of no return. I think we've we've kind of reached that with him. Um, so, yeah, look, this was the this was the risk that they took when they brought him in. And this is what they're going to have to deal with. And it's down to Arteta and Edu to, to sort this one out, you know. Is it, is it remotely realistic to sort that in this no. transfer window? No, I don't, I don't think so. I I'm, don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with it, but I just don't... I just don't think so. I think there's too much, too much other stuff going on. I also think it would leave too much egg on face if they did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think in the summer, maybe, mm. maybe. But it won't be easy. No. It won't be easy because no, no, when no, you no, no. commit to a good contract for somebody yeah. and offer them that security, finding someone who's going to take it, especially for someone who hasn't performed yeah. for a season. Yeah, yeah. and look, I, you know, it would be uh, unfair to say that Willian was the only problem on the day. You know, there was a lot that didn't quite work out. Um, Gabriel at the back, very rusty having been out for basically a month with COVID and, you know, having yeah, not he played... a long way off he, what he had looked like. Yeah, exactly. He? You know, and I, one of the things that has been good in the last few weeks was was the semblance of a partnership between Rob Holding and Pablo Marie. And Holding and Gabriel look very um, the opposite of a partnership, if you like. And, you know, Holding well, yeah. wasn't great on the day either. I think Cedric at left-back was not great. You know, I know it's... Um, I know we don't really have a natural option there. When, it's difficult, yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. But, you know, I saw... Was it on the commentary? You know, after Cedric made about his third huge cross, which went out for a goal kick, and, you know, the I can't remember who was on co-commentary, um, basically saying, well, you know, it's a bit difficult when you're playing on the left. And I'm thinking, it's not difficult when you're playing and you can cut in on your favourite foot and you can put a cross in. And Cedric, you know, one of the things he can do is deliver a ball well into the box. It just wasn't good whether he's playing on the on the left or the right. Midfield, Shaka was, Shaka was like, well, yeah, he just was in one of those. He was absolutely serviceable, but... but you know, the partnership or lack of partnership with El Neni was obvious. Nicolas Pepe on the right-hand side. There's a discussion to be had there, I think. Um, 
you know, yeah. which I might save for the second half because I've got some questions about Nicolas Pepe. Um, on the day, our most productive player in terms of in terms of what he did, creating. Well, I don't know if he created five chances, but he he had five key passes according to the stats. But then, what the stats say and what my eyes told me were kind of different in some ways. Not to mm-hmm. not to say that the the key passes didn't happen, but there was so much other stuff going on with his game that didn't quite come off, you know, and a lot of it was was stuff I really want him to be good at, but he, he makes look difficult. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, maybe it's a, like you say, we'll save it for the question, but there's definitely a conversation to be had around Pepe and whether his sort of grouping with Willian is fair in analysis, you know. I think people have divergent opinions on that. Mm. But I think, you know, I thought the central midfield partnership didn't work on the day. Shaka and El Nenny, um, surprise, surprise. I mean, we've seen that combination be problematic in the past. The absence of a true uh, outlet left-back hurt us. Um, we just basically weren't great on the day and, mm. and I can't say I was surprised I mean when I saw the lineup, there were a lot of underperforming players there and you thought well you've got an opportunity here to step up and you know threaten Mikel Arteta's squad hierarchy yeah and it's very difficult to think of anybody who who did that no nobody did nobody did yeah. you know the even Gabriel you know he'd, no. I, he'd, he'd probably have Marie and Louise ahead of him on this performance if you were doing it purely on that you know so yeah it, it wasn't a good day at all. No, it wasn't. I mean, Eddie and Kedia got to go up front and, yeah. you know, again, I think there's a conversation there to be had about Eddie and it's not to be hugely critical of him or anything like it. He did have a couple of chances. There was the Pepe pass, which, you know, he tried to toe poke, but he didn't make a good connection. It came off the defender, I think, which made mm-hmm. it look a bit more dangerous and, and Forster had to make a save. And there was one late on in the in injury time where it fell for him and he slashed it wide and... You know, you can argue on one hand that a striker like Eddie needs service. He's a penalty box predator. That's who he is. That's what he does. So if he doesn't get the service, can you properly judge his performance? But I would argue that, that, you know, in the system in which we play, we need more from the center forward than just being a six-yard guy or a guy who can play effectively between the penalty spot and the the goal line. You know, you need more from your centre-forward there. And I think we've seen quite a lot of Eddie, you know, and I there's obviously quality there in terms of goal scoring. He He's good in and around the box, but I just think his overall game is... You know, he can run and he can press, but I don't think he offers enough generally as a centre forward, as a nine in this system to merit a great deal more in terms of starting. You know, I I think there comes a point where you see a player and you, you can kind of identify what he is, what he's good at, where he is going to be effective. And then when you play him in a role which isn't getting the best out of him, you have to say, well... Is it fair on player and is it the right thing for the club to keep persisting? Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought looking at the subs bench, you know, we got Partey and Saka on on 58 Mm. minutes. Um, Lacazette, we had to wait until 72 and I was kind of itching for Lacazette to be on earlier, which I think tells you uh, what Nketiah's sort of all-round contribution was like. Mm. He is, like you say, a penalty box player. If I... 
and, and I think operating with that sort of striker is very difficult. There are only certain circumstances in which it really works. I think one is that you uh, play in a front two and, you know, their sort of responsibilities are slightly less. Uh, I think another way is if you're just an exceptionally good team who's creating a ton of chances, then having a guy who has great movement in the 18-yard mm. box you know, that can be beneficial, but we're not that team. Yeah. And I think at this point in our development, we do need more for us from our centre forward than that. If I imagine like what the good projection of Eddie and Ketia looks like, it's probably someone like Javier Hernandez at United, like a guy who you bring on in the last 15 minutes when you're chasing a goal and you've got 70% possession and he's like a extra man in the penalty box he yeah. can sniff something out yeah. you know but but I don't see a, an eventuality where he's a starting player at Arsenal I certainly don't foresee that no um, I don't and, th- and that's why then you have to start thinking about your squad and we, we talked about this I think on the last uh, episode where you're looking at the striking situation at Arsenal with Eddie who's got coming up on 12 months left of his contract yeah. You know, are you making a decision? Are you giving him a new one? Why are you giving him a new one if you are? Is it just to protect his value or do you see him as somebody who can start? I, I don't think he's he's shown enough to demonstrate that he should be a, a regular starter. Um, maybe a third choice striker, I don't know. But look, Lacazette is, is into the final 12 months of his deal as well come the summer. There are no yeah. efforts being made to, uh, to, to give him a new deal. There is an issue, an issue, I suppose, with Aubameyang in terms of his age. Um, he's going to be, what, 32 in the summer? Um, and then you're looking at this sort of gap in terms of what are we what are we doing? And I know people are, are, are screaming right now. They're ta- screaming the name Balagoon, and I get it. I completely get it. But, but it is a complicated situation in the sense that um, – do you give the minutes or do you develop a player who isn't going to play for you? If he's not going to sign a new deal, do you take the short-term benefit perhaps of having a striker like Balagoon in the team for games like this, Mm. you know, and okay, maybe he leaves, but you have, uh, you know, some benefit from the player being on the pitch. It helps you win games or score goals in in the very short term. Um, but if you're Balagoon and you're looking at the situation at Arsenal right now and you don't see and you're not confident enough in your own ability to see that there's a real pathway here for you if you put pen to paper, you know, it, it is tricky. And of course, the agent thing is is a tricky uh, element to this as well in that Balagoon and Nketiah have the same agent. So, you know, how can you tell one player one thing and another player another thing? Or can you be brutal about one player without pissing off the agent? You know, it is one of those quite difficult situations to deal with. I can imagine a situation where sort of, you know, Balogun and Nketiah have both got meetings lined up with Arteta and Edu on the same day and, and like the agent comes in with one and they tell him, yeah, you're, you're mm. our number one striking prospect for the future and then they leave and they come with the next one and they just tell him exactly the same <laughs> thing. I mean, it, it is awkward to manage. Arteta is so emphatic in his praise of Eddie Nketiah Um it's been the case since Arteta arrived. As soon as Nketiah came back from Leeds, he was really, really positive about him. And of course, he kept him, you know, didn't mm. send him back out on loan, which was a big call at the time. 
And I, I, I wonder about that. I've been thinking, like, is it because he sees something in Ketia that, you know, maybe we don't necessarily see? Mm. And then now I currently think, is it just because he realises that actually having an Eddie in Ketia in your squad, a guy who's very clearly third choice, but probably not desperately unhappy about being third choice behind Aubameyang and Lacazette, mm. who hasn't cost the club anything, really, mm. um, is pretty handy. And it won't last forever yeah. because eventually he'll want to play or eventually someone else comes through. Maybe it's Balogun and he moves on. But maybe that is just sort of a useful slot in the squad to be able to fill with an academy player, you know? I think that's probably right. Because if you look at how much playing time Enkedia has had, mm. you know, there was a small or short period, wasn't there, where he was starting games in the Premier League when Lacazette was going through a really bad run of form. But yeah, for the yeah. most part, he doesn't start in the Premier League. He's starting in the Europa League. He's starting in, you know, maybe a couple of the cup games. But yeah. he's not starting in the Premier League week in, week out. He's not getting tons and tons of, of Premier League minutes. And I think that probably tells you more about you know the situation than anything Arteta says, being positive or or, or talking up the the exactly um, the, the qualities or the potential of a player maybe isn't any bad thing either if you are perhaps minded in the future to um, you know to move them on. Yeah, I, I think that's right, and I think um, maybe maybe that's part of it too. I think it's also just about keeping a player happy who isn't getting very many minutes. I mean, and catch is basically someone who what we're saying is you don't ever really want to have to start. But if you've got seven subs or nine subs, you wouldn't mind having him amongst there if you needed a goal in the last 15 minutes. Mm. But the Balogun thing is what makes this whole situation interesting. I have to say, like, purely from a supporter's perspective, I am a bit uncomfortable about the Balogun thing. I do think that sort of... You know, he, he did that thing of like, well, I say he, whoever manages his social media account, very cannily put out a sort of compilation of his recent goals as soon as Arsenal went out of the cup yeah, against what, Southampton. What do you think about that? What did I mean? Well, if it was Meza Urzel, I would have heavily criticised him for it. So I think I have to <laughs> toe the same line. Do you think, think it was the player or his people? I couldn't say. I, I would assume, I mean, unless the player's video editing skills are pretty good for a footballer. Didn't he just uh, take, like, Arsenal videos and, you know, <laughs> you can put stuff together on your phone. These are young, technologically true. Uh, savvy young people. That's true. He's 15 years younger than me. But, I mean, I don't know. Um, either way, I feel a bit weird about that. I sort of feel like, listen, maybe he's not getting offered the deal he wants, Right. But do we think he's getting offered a bad deal? Don't I mean I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know the specifics. But do we think for a guy who's never played a Premier League minute, he's being offered a deal that should make him go? This is like a you know I refuse to sign this. I can't imagine that. Maybe if he's so confident and believes in himself. Sign the deal. You'll yeah, play. Sure, but maybe it's about what's on offer from elsewhere. And, you know, I don't want to put this entirely on the player because, you know, he. I think he said more than once um, that, he, that he wants to stay or certainly Arteta has said 
that the player wants to stay. And I think the yeah. implication was that the the uncertainty or, or the difficulty uh, has come from the agent. And look, you can say that's an agent doing the best that he can for his client, making sure he gets the of best course. deal possible. If he's got assurances of first-team football and good wages on offer from abroad because he's available for free, then those have got to be very exciting and very interesting opportunities for him. If he's got an offer from Arsenal to play second fiddle or third fiddle to Aubameyang and Lacazette for another 18 months, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the thing you want to do when you're 19? It's play. Play football. Mm-hmm. And look, yeah, I, I, I can see both sides of this one. You know, you might say that, uh, you know, a guy who hasn't uh, really proved himself in any way to post that kind of a video, it's a bit much you know, you shouldn't do that. That's it's, what I think. You know, on the as other hand, it might, it might just be like the ruthless killer mentality that we need from a player who's going to come into a team and say, well, fuck all of you guys. I'm going to score goals if you give me a chance. You know, and that's, of course, being wildly optimistic about it. So if you yeah. want to stay at Arsenal and you believe in yourself enough, sign the deal. Prove it. Mm. That's how I feel. And, and I know that that's not how Edu or Arteta should see it. But speaking as a fan... I just feel like, why should we commit to a guy who's not committed to us? Sure. I mean, I get that. I see that I see that point of view as well. And, and, and also, I- everything he's done so far, Eddie and Ketia did it at the same age. Like, he scored some goals in the 23s. Great. He come on and scored in the first team. Great. Eddie and Ketia did that too. Sign the deal. Commit. Play. Mm. Show us that you're better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how I feel about it. And, I, and I, I slightly worry that we're sort of putting him up on a pedestal and he's like a, a kid who's sort of frankly done nothing. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely see that. But I also see the side of this where you say, okay, we've seen what Eddie can give us and it's yeah. okay. And in circumstances, it can be better than that. But generally speaking, we need a bit more. And Balagoon is a player who could potentially, I'm not saying definitely, can give you more because he's a different kind of a striker. He's a... He's a you know, he's got, a, I think, a bit more all-roundness to his game, if you like. Mm. Whether he mm. can make that step up at senior level, that's another question because there have been plenty of good young strikers at Arsenal who have simply failed to make the grade when they've stepped up to senior football, not necessarily at Arsenal. I'm not failed to make the grade. That's unfair. But haven't perhaps been the player that people hoped they would be when they've been given a chance at senior level, Right. There's yeah. loads of them who've down the years been uh, really, really, really good at under 23 or youth level or reserve level and whatever or whatever you want to call it. And then they go and play first team football somewhere and it's kind of OK. They've done fine. Think of all the names. Akpom. Jay Simpson, Chuba, Chuba Akpom. I said Chuba Akpom, Afobi, Lupoli, Bentner even to an extent, but obviously he had a much bigger first team impact. There was uh, Amici. There, were, uh, you know, there've been loads who've who've just not yeah, I mean, done it. So, but I, I I can see the argument where people say, "Look, we know what we've got with Eddie. Why not give Balagoon the opportunity?" But again, it comes back to um, giving time to a player who isn't going to commit to the club. And I, I understand that perspective as well. So it is a really, there's no simple answer to this one. No, there isn't. And it is kind of a standoff at this point, isn't it? It's it's stalemate mm. because the club will say, 
why should we play? You haven't signed the deal. And yeah. he'll say, why should I sign the deal? I haven't played. So, yeah. Catch 22. It is. And I said before, I don't think... I don't think this ends with the player staying at Arsenal mm. and I still don't think that. I mean, maybe I'll be proved wrong and this is all, you know, brilliant brinkmanship, but mm. when a manager sort of openly criticises an agent, it doesn't make me feel like they're about to do a deal together. No, and also I'm not, you know, whatever, if you want to look at the video thing in the, the most positive light, by all means, I just wonder how things like that go down internally as well. Probably not well, not, not good. If, if we, if we, yeah, if we can extrapolate from sort of Meza Erzul, you know, things that are kind of counter messaging in yeah, public. We've just lost, well and you're, you, you know, look, there's a time and a place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Can we come back to the game very quickly before we end? Yeah, part yeah. One? Sorry. Um, you know, when when you look at the performance. Uh, you know, statistically, I think both teams had 11 shots. Both teams had two shots on target. Um, you know, I, I, we were under par. The team didn't play well. There were too many individual performances that weren't good, which meant that the collective performance wasn't good. But it took a kind of freaky own goal. I think Leno had that cross shot under control until Gabriel yeah. stuck his foot out and it went in. So it was... A very fine margin that that cost us the game, which isn't to make any excuses about it, but that's what it was when you look at it. Um, the mm. one issue where I, I think... The one thing that really frustrated me about this game was moving Saka to left-back. Right. I'm curious what you thought of that, because, you know, this is a guy who gives us, I think, more than most people in the final third. And we brought him mm. on and then we moved him to left back. Yeah, it just, you know, you're moving him away from the area of the pitch in which he can do the most damage and, and cause the most problems. And I think even even late on, there was a there was a really good cross um, yeah, where he, where he got him, forward. Yeah, and he got Lacazette. forward towards Lacazette. And I think another thing that frustrated me about this game was um, you know, Lacazette did his best to get there, but there was nobody gambling at the back post. Nobody was there to to try and get on the end of that cross. So, you know, I know he was able to produce a little bit, but did it not diminish or take away from his effectiveness by moving him, you know, that, into a you know a nominally a defensive position uh, to start with? Yeah. I- I don't mind as much because I feel like in that period of the game we were really on top and he was kind of more at liberty to get forward. Um, So it didn't bother me particularly because I I just feel like the way we play overlapping fullbacks who can cross the ball Mm. are pretty integral. And in the absence of Tierney, we just had no way of doing that on the Mm. left flank. So it felt like we weren't achieving any kind of penetration. Um, I mean, listen... In my ideal world, we'd have 11 sackers, you know, and he could play every position because I genuinely think he excels Mm. in most of them. Um, But I did think we improved, you know, in that last period. And and there there was a point where I thought we are going to score here, actually. Um, Just when we were beginning to exert a little bit of pressure. We did have a good spell in terms of of, uh, territory and possession, you know, uh, whether that was game state or whether that was some of the changes that we made. And certainly the introduction of Thomas Partey made a difference into midfield because, you know, he's he's good. 
at playing in midfield, and I don't evidence think... continues to suggest that yeah. he is good at playing in midfield. Yeah, yeah. there's some fucking uh, cracking insight there from both of us. But you know what I mean? <laughs> he, he does lift the level of the team significantly when he comes on. So, yeah, we finished the match with 62 percent possession. I mean, that's that unusual um, when a team has the lead for a long period. Um, but yeah, I mean. It, it, I just kind of came away from it. I mean, there weren't many great chances, were there? No. Um, I can't think of many sort of pronounced misses. You mentioned the Enketu ones. I, that Lacazette one where he almost got on the end of that sack across very, very late on. Yeah. That did stick in the memory slightly. I don't know if it was just sort of the recency of it being towards the end of the game. Um, but no, I mean, Southampton did pose the occasional threat on the break as well. They had a claim for a penalty, didn't they, at one I point? we did as well. Um, I mean, the penalty that Southampton claimed, well, there was a handball, but it was very, very ball to hand. It was the yes, kind of. That's right. It was yeah. the kind of ball to hand that was a penalty three months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I do think that's weird, actually. Like changing the application of laws during a season um, has quite a dramatic effect, actually. Yeah. I find it odd that you can sort of do that. Mm. Um, yeah. So look. There you go. We're out of the cup, and uh, you know. I how suppose- do you feel it affects the Premier League game on Tuesday night? Do you think it has any impact at all? This was well, maybe because this was their pretty much their best team. Well, that, yeah, I think um, there was maybe a, an element of rope dope there from from Hassan Huddle. In that, I suspect Arteta was thinking, um, you know, that he would be thinking along the same lines that the Premier League game is probably the one in which you're going to put out your, your strongest team, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Hassan Hutt will basically put out Southampton's strongest team in this game. And I suspect he'll put out a very similar team uh, tomorrow night. So whether it has an impact on them physically, we'll, we'll wait and see. From an Arsenal perspective, you know, you're looking to welcome back into the team or to the starting 11. I think Louise will come back in. I think uh, Tierney obviously will come back in. Saka will come in. Smith Rowe will come in. So you've got fresh legs in important positions. Partey, I can't remember if I mentioned him there, but obviously he's going to start. So you've got fresh legs coming back Maybe into Obama. important positions. Maybe Aubameyang, yeah, we don't know. Obviously, you know, that I think might have had an impact as well. Whether, whether uh, Aubameyang was scheduled to start that game or not, we don't know. Yeah, you know? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Because Martinelli didn't... Uh, yeah, he played about an hour, didn't he? Yeah. So, didn't really uh, work for him. But then, you know, that's true of most of what happened to our front three. So Yeah, I do wonder if Aubameyang might have started. Mm. Um, who knows how much difference that would have made. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting on Tuesday. I mean, it'll be a kind of psychological advantage to Southampton, if nothing else. Um, it's a six-pointer, really, in the battle for 10th. Yeah, look, I think it's put a little bit more pressure on us because uh, we, you know, we, we've we've lost. Um, losing was perhaps a consequence of, of the team that we picked and the lack of performance. So people need to, to see a response. You can perhaps, I'm not going to say justify, but it becomes easier to justify the team selection for the FA Cup game if you then go and win the, the league game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. If he, if he wins the league game, so I kind of think mm. people will compartmentalise accordingly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, interesting to see. I mean, like you say, it'll be quite a different team. It was seven changes for the Cup, and I expect we'll see seven more. 
All right. Well, look, we will leave it there for part one. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back to part two of the Arscast Extra. This is part two. Yes, obviously, this is part. Two. <laughs> it I was just, part one, and now it's part two. Now it's part We've two. done it in the usual order. Yeah, this week that's good. Sequential is good. Anyway, mm. this is the part of the this show. Thing we should put out part three. We always just keep it for ourselves, but maybe we should add part three to the recording. This okay, week. let's do it. Let's take a break. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part three of the show where we're actually going to answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog, 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 I'm not Australian, Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, from which, James, comes the question about Nicholas Pepe. And it comes from Charlie Birchall. And Charlie says... I think Pepe is being unfairly judged at the moment and would offer these discussion points for context. He has never played in a functioning Arsenal team with a number 10. Even Saka playing on the right without Emile Smith-Rowe looked lost earlier this season and everyone said he shouldn't play out there. He's also had zero managerial support. We've all been somewhere where we've had difficulty with the manager and it's awful. Arteta has thrown him under the bus publicly and con- and continued to start Willian over him despite a great FA Cup final and his awful early season form. I think he means Willian there and not Pepe. I think this is worth discussing as I think he would be a lot better playing in the Arsenal first team with Emile Smith-Rowe at the moment and it's just unfortunate that Saka uh, is in great form on that right-hand side. Yeah, well, it's a tricky one for me. Um... I don't think Pepe has been as bad as William. I agree. But even at the highest estimate of what William has cost us, mm-hmm. Pepe will have cost us about three times as much. So I know people say don't attach his price tag to it, but how can you possibly not? How can you possibly not regard his signing as... And the fee that he, we paid for him as important in assessing his contribution. Mm. I just think it's inextricable. 
It really is. Yeah, it is difficult, isn't it? You know, you you, you see, here's the thing with him. I, I thought against um, Southampton that there were obviously parts of his game which were effective. A couple of through balls. There was that free kick for Martinelli. Um and, you know, the ball to Nketiah and yeah. the back heel to Nketiah and, you know, the five key passes that he made. But then there are other moments where I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, OK, you really have to do better there because this is bread and butter stuff. There was one where Bellerin played him down the right hand side where he's got space in front of him. And you're thinking, this is where we want Nicolas Pepe to be. This is the kind of situation we we should be working to put Pepe in, you know, and... Yeah. His touch was poor and the defender got back and cleared the ball and the danger was gone. There was another one where, you know, he showed for the ball. You see, here's the thing with Pepe. I don't think there's, a you know, any kind of lack of effort or application, um, even if I think there are parts of his game in terms of supporting the players around him, he could do better, you know? Yeah. But I think that's more to do with a lack of either awareness or, or whatever it might be but I don't think there's a lack of effort in his game I think he tries and he wants to do well um, but there was a ball played into him by Bellerin he came he showed for it uh, received it with his back to goal and it just bounced off him and it just bounced away from him and it was bread and butter basic stuff that he needs to be able to do an awful lot better because what happens is play breaks down we can't combine we cannot um, we cannot uh, build attacks when the ball is bouncing off a div- or an attacker like that you know I agree and by the way apologies for the puppy training that's going on in the <laughs> I can hear it there <laughs> yeah um, but I think that a thing happens with Pepe where we see him do something amazing and for some reason as a group of supporters we extrapolate that therefore he's capable of doing that consistently and I think how can I put it technique is great but it is a very small part of what makes a successful footballer and a very very successful footballer and I just think he's lacking in too many of the other component areas like you know he might be the most skillful player in training he might be Mm. the guy who can score a goal no one else can score but I just think that's a small part of the equation of what makes someone elite and I think that we we kind of view him like a YouTube player sometimes. We kind of view him like as a highlight reel and we go, but he did this and he mm. did that. And it's like, yeah, he did, but not with any consistency. That's that's the thing for me. It's the consistency uh, of what he can and can't produce because, you know, in his first season, you can decide yourselves out there whether these are reasons or excuses where, um, you know, things didn't quite work for him. And you're saying, well, look, it's a new league. He arrived late, um, you know, didn't get a full preseason. Then there was the whole Emery business where things started going wrong and, and you know, um, you know, a new language, a new country, new teammates, all of those things where you see, you can maybe put it down to adaptation. I think mm-hmm. it's not unreasonable to say that it's adaptation. When you're 18 months in and those issues are still in his game and you can't really point to those things as being reasons slash excuses, then you have to ask, you know, is is that the player? And I, I would just take issue with one small thing in um, in the question in that Arteta threw him under the bus publicly over the 
the red card, right? And that was a mistake. And, you know, people who were critical of that had every right to be critical of that. Um, But you can't be critical of that and then also critical of Arteta backing his players when they don't play well, as he did after this game with Pepe and Willian, saying, we're going to support them publicly. You know, uh, we're going to support them as much as we can. Of course, he's going to say that in public. You know, part of the reason Lampard got canned is because he didn't offer his players that protection. I think, you know, Arteta got that one wrong. And has he learned from it? Probably he's not going to do that again with with other players. But I think in general, his messaging about Pepe has been pretty consistent in terms of, you know, uh, Pepe, the player, they want to get more from him. They want to support him. They want to give him the opportunities, all of those things. But it hasn't really happened. And I think, you know, maybe a consequence of the Willian signing is that Pepe felt devalued or demotivated or, or you know, uh, diminished in some way. And, you know, that's that's not unreasonable from his perspective either. Um, But, you know, what we're seeing from Pepe now is what we've seen from Pepe in every step of his Arsenal career. Yeah, pretty much. With the exception of a little lift. I do think towards the end of last season, it was a little lift, Um, but not... Not well, and and he had an outstanding performance in the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was really excellent in a team full of excellent performances. Uh, but I, yeah, I do just think consistency, and I know, you know, Arteta has—he—he he was incredibly critical of him after that Leeds game, probably unfairly so. He has also spoken quite positively about Pepe and about his talent. Um, I suppose mm-hmm. actions speak louder than words in terms of selecting him, and and I do think he contributes a lot more than Willian. But I do think that it is worth—sorry <laughs> to bring it back to the numbers, but like. The highest estimate of what Willian is making that I've heard is 200 grand, right? A week. So that's about 10 million quid a year, which is about 30 million pounds over the course of a three-year contract. Yeah. Pepe's transfer fee plus his wages is already, in terms of what it's cost Arsenal, north of 100 million, you'd Mm -hmm. have to say. So even if we can sell Pepe for 30 million... We'll have lost twice on him what we've lost on William. Mm. So the numbers do matter, and the you know the the Pepe signing is a complete economic catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. And when you look at our squad construction, uh, the amount of resource that was diverted into that one signing was wildly irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know that anyway, that's not his fault, but it just, it, I can't separate it. I know people are like, you must separate it. I can't help it. I can't help but look at it in its context. Um, for the player, yeah, he's he's okay. Like, you know, he's doing all right. He can be, I, he can be useful. I'm sure of it. He's definitely more useful than Willian and sort of saying their names in the same breath as if they're the same player is unfair. Is he close to what Saka offers? Not in my mind. Not at the moment, no. But, I mean, there maybe is a point there where he hasn't played a great deal with someone like Smith-Rowe. And, like, how do you do it, though? I mean, how do you take Saka out of that position when he's gone in there and played as well as he does? And every... difficult. You know, if you do and Pepe doesn't play well, people will say, well, what the fuck were you doing? That works. So... I mean, Saka's playing as well as a right-sided attacker now as he has in any other position. I mean, we're seeing his best performances, I think, in that role, which, you know, makes it really difficult to upset Mm. that balance. Um, 
I, I, listen, I do have sympathy for, for Pepe because there are some mitigating factors around changes in manager, changes in system, like you say, not playing with a number 10 consistently. Um, and maybe he'll get that run. Maybe he will. But mm. at the moment, I just don't have faith that he can seize that opportunity. And yeah. it's not to do with ability. It's not to do with his ability to dribble past a guy or smash it in the top corner, you know, one time out of 12 or whatever it is. I don't doubt it. But yeah. there are other aspects yeah, that I, I just feel he he doesn't deliver on. Like the, the late free kick. Yeah. I mean, that that to me... I mean, it's such a missed opportunity. I'm not saying that he should be criticized for not smashing it into the top corner from that position. But I think it's right to be frustrated when he smashes it over the bar from that position with all the Arsenal players who are in the box. You know, there's a there's a line between um, being ambitious and being sensible with a free kick, you know, from that position where you could deliver a good strong ball into a dangerous area where it takes a nick off someone or someone gets a head on it or just flicks it on, you know, to put it over the bar is really frustrating, really frustrating. Yeah. So it just kind of was a, an encapsulation of of what drives people a bit mad about him. But look, it is what it is. Um, I, I do think as well, like he's a fascinating um, character. Like he's a really interesting character because a lot of what he does on the ball shows incredible um, self-confidence and uh, bravery really in terms of like what he's prepared to take on mm. but there's also something about his personality that means I, I don't feel like that transmits in a very obvious way he he certainly doesn't feel like um, how can I put it I, I suppose he, he I never think he l- carries himself like a star um, yeah I think that's fair. I mean, that could be, you know, I'm not saying it's unfair, but, you know, you can't expect somebody to be what they're not. But I know what you mean in terms of the attitude he takes onto the pitch. Yeah. Like, uh, it's slightly contradictory, and I'm Mm. admitting that because I do think there is a real kind of, obviously, a bit of showmanship and courage in the way that he plays. Um but equally, I sometimes feel like there's not enough swagger. There's not enough sense of mm. it being his game, his team. And, and maybe he just doesn't feel that way. But I also kind of think, is that just sort of who he is? Yeah. It's a really interesting one. I'm is not it, sure. Is it, just very finally on this one quickly, is, yeah. it, is it something we should be concerned about that since his arrival, mm. Emery has had concerns reservations about him. Freddie Jumberg had concerns and reservations about him. And it's very clear that Mikel Arteta has had concerns and reservations about him. Is, you know, does that tell us something? I think it has to. I mean, you know, unless you just think, I basically think if three coaches tell you something, uh, mm. and I think this applies to Mazza Ozil to an extent as well, you know, the chances are they have divergent enough personalities that, you know, there's something to be read into the fact that they all arrive at similar conclusions um, and they all know their own mind sufficiently for that to mean something. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I do sympathise with Pepe, but I also, 
I, I also just I, I wonder how much we're prepared to move the goalposts to sort of say that he's doing well. Like I just think the the expectations have been lowered so dramatically that I can't sort of divorce myself from what the expectations were when he arrived. Mm. Yeah, I think um, probably in time and maybe not at the moment, I think there's reason to look at why why that deal happened when mm. clearly the head coach at the time wanted something different, completely different, and mm. when that level of output, that that money could have been used for something that could have benefited the team much more um much more greatly do you know what I mean yeah of course I mean I think Arsenal will reflect on it and I I would be extremely surprised if anyone at Arsenal is given authority to go into the market with that kind of transfer fee attached anytime Mm. soon I mean setting aside the current economic situation yeah yeah yeah. but but without like a fucking dossier as to why this is the best possible way we could spend this money sure whereas I think why we spend Even that then, money. I think there'll be reticence. I mean, yeah, look, sure. they spend big money on Partey, but it's it's still yeah. a way off. Yeah, but you, you can see why, to an extent, that that was um, so important. I just think there are real questions as to why we spent that money on that player that go beyond him. I'm not saying it's his fault. Mm. So Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Um, let's have a question about... Okay, it's pronunciation time. See, the... Udegaard... Odegaard? Yeah, the D is silent. Here's the here's the thing, like we're gonna have to just get over this one a little bit because we have this weird He's not gonna be called that in England, is he? No, he's like... not. And we have this weird sort of strange situation with pronunciations where it's Sabayos, but it's not Thabayos, and mm. it's Bellerin and not Bayerin and all these kind of things that we have to contend with. So pronunciation wars, let's let's try not to, I think. Okay, I'm going to are say... We gonna, I mean, Ode- I don't think we're going to offend anyone if we call him Erdegar, are we? Erdegar. Erdegar. Okay, let's go with that. Please don't Martin. kill us, Norwegians. By the way, I enjoyed this question from East Lower on Twitter, who says, is Erdegar going to be as good as his namesake, Remigard? Which <laughs> I liked. But it relies on some mispronunciation. Of course. Um, Sammy on Twitter says, we need one non-homegrown spot for Erdegard. Squad list of which includes 17 non-homegrown players will be submitted. Mm. Um, if Renarsson isn't the one who's not leaving, uh, who is leaving, I think he must mean, which player should Arsenal not register? And he suggests Mustafi or Willian. It's an interesting one, isn't it? They do need yeah. someone to go. Well, I mean, Runerson is the obvious one. So if Runerson goes, if they can get him on loan somewhere, which I think they will be pushing heaven and earth to do, because they can have... Well, I mean, I just mean from the... From not, not, really reflective of him as a player we've had that discussion and yeah. and there's a reason why we brought in uh, Matt Ryan so I, I just think in terms of registering a new player he is the most obvious one he really is mm. um, so you know what they will be offering uh, to other clubs around Europe I mean how many clubs around Europe are going to want Runerson that's another question it's a difficult one because you know he obviously hasn't had a good time at Dijon he hasn't had a good time at Arsenal. So in terms of his his stock, it's not particularly great. So he would be the obvious one. I think that the one for me is Mustafi. Yeah, that's, I think, the one that's going to be the decision, isn't it? You know, what do they... Yeah, he hasn't been in the squad for weeks and weeks and weeks anyway. I know he provides a little bit of assurance at centre-half, but we do have Callum Chambers there as well. Yeah. So, you know, if you're looking for a body, there's a body. 
I guess that's the guy who wouldn't make the cut. Yeah, it does feel like it's it, it may go that way because you know Arsenal as well might uh, you know maybe this won't be the end of their business. Maybe they'll still be looking to do a left back from what Mikel Arteta said, which means they got potentially find another spot. So yeah, there's still work to be done on that front. But uh, yeah, I mm. think Renarsson or Mustafi is going to be one of those guys, isn't it? Okay. How do you feel about Matt Ryan, by the way? Um, I, I saw you you did a piece about this, um, you know, in terms of his saves and and what have you. I think what he is, with the greatest of respect to Matt Ryan, I kind of hope he doesn't play. Right. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because, you know, every game is important now. It's Premier League games. Leno is playing in Premier League games. I mean, in I don't Euro- think he'd be picked over Leno. I no. can't see what fixtures are coming up. Where no, there isn't, give- there isn't one. And Europa League, you know, Leno's going to play in that. You're not, you're not playing your second best goalkeeper in games against Benfica. And as, you know, hopefully if we make some progress as we head towards like quarterfinals, semifinals, if we get that far in the Europa League, you're not playing your second choice goalkeeper. So what, what Matt Ryan is, is a little bit of a safety blanket given his experience uh, with Brighton. I think he, he was he was decent enough for Brighton until mm-hmm. he wasn't, if you like. Um, you know, it's obviously nice that he's an Arsenal fan as well. He used to get up at all times in the morning, as, you know, many of our listeners down in um, that part of the world do, the huge commitment to getting up to watching your team. You know, so that's a really nice aspect to this story. And if he's called upon you know, because of injury or, or whatever it might be, then I think there's just a little bit more um, reassurance there than if we only had Runison. So, yeah, I, I've I think got no issues with it either. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, it, it's funny. Sometimes you get emergency dispensation to sign a goalkeeper if you have a load of injuries. And it felt like this was kind of an emergency situation for mm. Arsenal. They just needed to bring in somebody who... To provided be, some experience yes, backup. You know? Exactly. And and to be fair, a lot of our Australian listeners have been talking about this uh, for weeks yeah, and weeks I going, know. come on, like Matt Ryan, he's not playing for Brian. We should do it. We should do it. And look, there you go. So those guys are, are going to be really happy. Uh, if he can make a contribution, great. But I just feel like I said to you, I think last week when we were talking about which is the one position that you would like to fill, um, you know, goalkeeper was the one I was most anxious about in terms of not having any sufficient cover for Burned Leno. Um, but with the best will in the world and, and, and everything else, I hope Leno stays fit and plays every game between now and the end of the season because he's our best goalkeeper. Simple as that. So He is, yeah. And mm. I thought he was... Uh, I thought he was pretty good the other day. As well. Yeah. Um, I have a question here just on the Erdogan thing as well. Oh, yeah. Um, if I can bring it in. Do, 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 do. Okay, hang on a second. Um, do, 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 do. There's one about shirt numbers, but I'm not sure that's the right one. Uh, Rupert Day, who's at Rupert Day, says, With Erdegaard, do you feel Arteta will look to start him and uh, Emil Smith Road together regularly? If so, uh, in what structure would that be, or are they purely rotation options? And then uh, Henrik uh, Henrik Ho Jakobsen, who's at Henrik Hose on Twitter, or Henke Hose on Twitter, rather, says, uh, Hi, guys, how are you? All good, thank you. Uh, is the loan deal with Erdogan maybe too short-sighted since there's no option to buy in the summer in it? So those two things. How do you see him being used and, you know, the option to buy? Is that an issue? 
Uh, I think they can play together because they've both played multiple positions. I mean, Smith Rowe, listen, his favourite area is central area, but he's played a lot of his football wide, particularly for England at youth mm. level. He played wide from the right, wide from the left. Uh, he did a bit of that with the Arsenal first team, I seem to recall, <clears throat> when he first came in under Unai Emery playing from wide right. Um, so I think he can do that. I think Odegaard's played on the right as well. Mm. Um it's funny, you know, we were talking about why, you know, Buendia might not be a good option because he's played from the right-hand side, but Odegaard has too. I, I do think this is a great signing, actually. Like, I know, I understand the reservations about it being alone and not permanent, but given the restrictions Arsenal are working under, given the financial situation, um, given the fact that it's January, to find a player of this calibre available in this month, mm. I think is a real coup. Yep, I agree. I mean, there's a hugely talented player there and for him to be available and to come to Arsenal is fantastic. If people want to know a bit more about him, what kind of player he is, we did a, a thing on the Patreon with Alex Kirkland from the Spanish Football Podcast. We talked a bit about his development at Real Madrid, why they're letting him go now in January, having um, you know, having brought him back. He was supposed to be on loan for two years at Real Sociedad and That's they brought right. him back. So why is he available now? Uh, we, I talk about that with Alex, so it's over on the Patreon if you're a member. If not, you, you can sign up to listen to that one. What I what I do think, though, is we're going to have to be just a little bit patient because, you know, the last time he played 90 minutes of domestic football was June of last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, He's only played nine games this season for Real Madrid. So they're going to have to find the right balance between getting this guy up to speed for Premier League and hopefully the business end of the Europa League and, you know, making sure that he doesn't break down or he's not doesn't pick up an injury in the same way that, that, that Denis Suarez did, for example. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to come in People shouldn't be expecting him to come in straight away and play 90 minutes, 90 minutes or or anything like that. There's going to have to be a period where we ease him into to action. And that's something people are going to have to get um, into their heads, I think, because it's just not realistic when you've played so little to come in and, and, and be playing week in, week out every game. But I agree with you, the talent and, you know, what's out there on the market for us to to bring in this guy uh, on loan, I think is is a really great move, which isn't to say it's going to be a brilliant signing. Nobody can make that prediction. But if he can get fit and if he can uh, play regularly, you know, he's a really good player and it's exciting. It's an exciting signing. How do you feel about the kind of loan aspect of it and not having the permanent option? I, I Look, we've said this countless times. We've said it countless times that that we should not go and spend a load of money in January unless it's on the right player. Or if the right player is not available to us, we have to find a different solution. This might be that different solution. So I've got no problem with the loan. The idea that there is no option to buy at the end of it doesn't bother me one bit either. Don't care. You know, it it doesn't mean we can't make a bid. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that if it goes well for him here and if he likes it at Arsenal and we like him that, you know, we're precluded from making a bid. You know, of course we can. If we want to buy him, we can we can make an offer to Real Madrid. So, you know, I think Absolutely, Madrid have yeah. sort of hedged their bets a little bit there, you know, uh, because maybe 
it's not clear if Zidane is going to be there next season or not. They're leaving it exactly. open for, for a new coach who might want Erdogan who, or who might not. So they're not exactly. going to commit to anything at this point. But the idea that, that, you know, if it's really impressive, we're somehow precluded from making a bid is just wrong. So, no, I don't see any any issue. And I also think discussions like that can often delay a deal or they can they can slow things down. So if yeah. you're not dealing with that, you get the player in quicker, you get him fit quicker, you get him onto the pitch quicker, and it's a better it's a better um, it's a better outcome for the club. Yeah, I agree. I just think t- to be able to sort a signing like this, you know, mm. uh, relatively swiftly, is uh, great. And listen, I, I don't know if he'll play. Uh, he certainly won't play straight away, and I don't know how regularly he'll play after that. I mean, he will have come because he wants mm. to play minutes, but I think. You know, there'll be a lot of rotation between him and Smith-Rowe. But I'm excited to see him. I mean, you know, this is a guy who's incredibly well thought of. Madrid, certainly in the summer, saw him as part of their big rebuild and rejuvenation of the squad. It hasn't quite panned out that way. Um, But yeah, like I said, I think it's a coup. And I I, I look forward to seeing him before long. Hopefully that deal, well, hopefully Mm. by the time you're listening to this even, that that might be done. Yeah, you never know. You never know. He is in London, isn't he? He's having his medical today and, and what have you, so... Um, uh, exciting times. So, um, oh, what about this question? FPL. Actually, no, I don't want to do that one. Sorry. I'm not even going to finish the name because it will upset you too much that I haven't done it. Um, <laughs> all the what, FPL accounts now going All the FPL accounts Was it me? Raging. Was it me? Uh, Rambo on the Discord asks, after his departure, what is your favourite Mesut Ozil memory? And I think you had a question as well, didn't you? About we did. Um, favourite Mesut Ozil memory? I mean, it's impossible to look beyond some of the assists. I know the goal against Ludogorets was just phenomenal. Um, mm. And I think that's the one that everyone will will pick if they're asked to, you know, choose a, a Mesut Ozil moment. Um, which I should say, the, the calibre of the opposition takes nothing away from that goal for me because it was just, just unbelievable. I yeah. think the one that kind of sums up his time for me is that first-time assist for Olivier Giroud where he kind of flicks it on in the centre circle, Giroud takes Aston the ball Villa. on yeah. and almost doesn't score, uh, which, <laughs> yeah. <would> have, <laughs> which kind of sums up Giroud as well in a way. Um, but I think just in terms of moments on a pitch where you see the full scope of a player's vision and technical ability, I think that's the one I would pick. The one I would go for, and again, a lot of people say Lugaretz, and I understand why it's a beautiful, beautiful goal, um, would actually be... You remember when we went to New York and Arsenal played Chelsea and famously... My flight was delayed and I missed the first two goals. Arsenal mm. scored a brace of early goals. But I arrived just in time, I believe, to see Meza Ozil score yeah. five minutes before half time. And it was a brilliant counter attacking goal with Alexis Sanchez. It's one it's one of those where he yeah. sort of volleys it into the ground. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It goes yeah. Over the I remember that, yeah. Uh, and I have very fond memories of that goal and that time. And I suppose the sort of, you know, the old chop into the ground mm. became a kind of quintessential Ozil thing. So, yeah, I think that would be my favourite Mesut Ozil Okay, fair enough. The question that I had was also also from the Discord. It comes from Seb3000, who says, Morning, chaps. What what lessons should Arsenal learn from the Mesut Ozil situation to improve in the future? 
<sighs> well, I think um, I think there are lessons to be learned about the kind of contract that they gave Mesut Ozil at the mm. age they gave it to him. Um, I think there were even kind of you know uh, statistical things that suggested that maybe his underlying figures weren't as good at that point, and maybe they shouldn't have pursued it. I think as well, Arsenal allowed themselves to get into a, a very treacherous position where they stood to lose a player for free who had cost them an awful lot of money mm. and was incredibly valuable on the open market. And not just one, two, of course, with Alexis Sanchez as well. Um, I think that's the main lesson, isn't it? To not let players get to that point where they have so much control that your choice is either to lose them for nothing or pay them uh, a hugely inflated amount of money. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the lesson is that don't be afraid. Look, manage those situations better. Obviously, don't let yourself get into a situation where a guy's got 12 months left on his deal or, or you know, um, you're, you're over a barrel uh, in terms of negotiating. I think that's the key lesson. And, you know, whatever you want to say about Sanyehi, and I don't really have very much good to say about him at all, at least he acknowledged that that was a problem for Arsenal. And that's not something that we would do, even if he then went and didn't do anything about it, you know, but there was an acknowledgement at least that that was a thing. But also mm. maybe don't be afraid to let talent go because um, in doing so... at a so, decent price, at a premium. As at he a decent price. Or, fetched or, at one point. Or, you know, or at, the, or at an age where you think, yeah. you know, the perception of a player leaving to the, the club is perhaps a bit more harmful than it actually is. Like, you know, when you look back on it, again, I'm not trying to be critical of uh, of anyone in particular here, but like when you look back on it, and I, you know, I'll hold my hands up at the time, and I thought it was important that Arsenal signed Mesut Ozil because I thought it was, you know, something we could build on. But with hindsight, would we not have been better to let him go and invest the money that we paid his wages or paid on his wages into other players and younger players and, and everything else? You know, hindsight, yeah. 2020, all that kind of stuff. Just don't be afraid to... Uh, endure some short-term pain for what might be, you know, better off, uh, better things in the long term. Absolutely, yeah. I completely agree with that. And I would love to think that we have learned those lessons, mm. but I'm not entirely clear that we have. I'm not entirely sure that we have, <laughs> because obviously we've got, some, we've got some other ones. Uh, I think we should probably leave it there. Um, okay. Because we've been going a long time and um, uh, there's a, a lot to do today and, and things to get on with. And we do, of course, have a game tomorrow. We will have. Soon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow. Um, we will hopefully have a, a preview podcast for you a bit later on for Patreon members. Myself and Lewis will be doing something for you there. So um, join us for that. Um, we'll see what we can do after the game as well on Wednesday. If there's something we can do there, we'll sort something out for that as well. Post Southampton. Fingers crossed for better at St. Mary's tomorrow night than mm -hmm. we saw at the weekend. Uh, as ever, thank you for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.